Hello and welcome everyone who's watching. Um, let me just make sure everything's working. Okay, yeah. Hello there, guys, gals, and non-binary pals, all of whom are loved and welcomed in this space. Welcome to a brand new episode of The Bad Batches, the only Bad Batch-focused discussion show hosted by the Imperial Zone Podcast. I'm your host, Charlie Ashby, and not joining me this week are Claire and Nikki, who are both very busy, clearly on their moped. Um, <laughs> yeah, just me this week, so we've got a very British show, very British show this week. But um, thankfully, I'm not alone. Uh, we're joined by a special guest. He's a journalist and writer for Iron Nine. It's James Whitbrook. Hi, hello. Nice, nice to be an honorary member of the bed, the bad bitch for this yeah. one week. Bad bitches. We have to do our terrible New Zealand accents. <laughs> just replace, just replace an E with an I, and you're good to go. Um, yeah. But yeah, what a another fun week, another fun episode. How was your week this week, James? Um. A very fun one with a lot of work commitments, but I at least got to end it with a, a great episode of The Bad Batch, which is the thing because I, I cover the show for, for Io9 and Gizmodo um, at the minute, and it's been great to sort of get in on the ground floor with with a show and engage with it like that. And, and it's continuing to build to some really cool stuff as we've as we've got these first few episodes out of the way. So, so yeah, fine, fine week, but it had good Star Wars, so you can't complain. Exactly. And I feel like what's interesting about The Bad Batch is kind of like with life in general, I think the, the days and the, uh, the weeks where you don't expect much to happen, something good mm. might happen, but the ones yeah. where you're like, oh, you've got put so much pressure on stuff, <laughs> you're like, oh, well, that was just mediocre. With The mm. Bad Batch, it was one of those shows where when they announced it, you're excited because it's new Star Wars, and who's gonna mm. who's gonna be like complaining about new Star Wars? Well, well, apart from the internet, um, <laughs> and it's it's one of those things where you're like, do you know what? I'm excited about this, but I'm not putting all my eggs in one basket. Mm. I'm gonna see how it goes. It's not like the biggest for me. I like the the time period and the, the idea yeah. of delving into clones, but I was like, okay, you have to win me over the bad batch. I like them, but they weren't like I gotta watch a whole series about them. And then yeah. now you're like, oh, do you know what? They've won me over. Like it's mm. those types of stories which I feel like Star Wars has a really good job of convincing the audience of being like, no, mm. actually, you will love this. You will love these characters. Yeah. Even the Mandalorian. Yeah, it's, it's become one of those shows where it's like, whereas the Mandalorian sort of, as it's grown increasingly more popular, and we are all under the thrall of Baby's Yoda. Um, has been that sort of show where it's sort of become an event just because just because it's the Mandalorian. So it's like, yeah, you have to go in every week, and everyone expects half the galaxy to show up, and there's going to be explosions and spaceships, and like everything is going to happen, and it will be the most vital piece of Star Wars information ever made in the history of ever <laughs> every week. Whereas this is sort of like it's not necessarily that it doesn't have any expectations. It's got a lot being a successor sequel to the to the Clone Wars and like sort of carrying on that legacy of Lucasfilm animation but it's and I think knowing knowing going in that it's also like it's, it's a 16 episode series so it's like people mm. are sort of going to be aware that like not every week is going to be some major shocking revelation that the Emperor is around the corner cackling maniacally or something but um, it gives the show a chance to breathe with characters a bit more, which it sort of, it couldn't really do in the first place when it was still getting everyone set up and onboarded from the Bad Batch's introduction in the Clone Wars. But as these first few episodes, 
as they've sort of settled into this this routine that we'll get to of the, of of the batch sort of trying to see who they are outside of the confinement of a very specific military unit and like as they've sort of mellowed and as Omega has started to sort of figure out who she is and and like like what she, what she wants in life beyond Camino um I think it sort of allowed it to just become a sort of it's filler is the derogatory word a lot of people use when something that they can't add to a fan wiki happens in an episode <laughs> but um it's a sort of show that lets it sit with itself a bit more which i'm i'm really appreciating so far in the idea of like i'm not waiting for a massive build up to some climactic fight or some big revelation about these characters or whatever you just sort of get to soak in like you said, this period of the galaxy has been very well trodden, especially in Disney's era of of the canon and sort of exploring the rise of the Empire. But seeing it on a ground perspective where it's sort of, you know, we're not seeing big sweeping changes. We're seeing little incremental moments by moments mm-hmm. of the very early days of it. And I think that's quite interesting. And, and, it's, and it's what's keeping me sort of, aside from the fact that I get paid to write about it, um, it's what's <laughs> keeping me checking in week after week like i want to see how these characters interact with this with this world and this time period specifically rather than just like wanting to know things for the sake of knowing it yeah and i think you've really hit the nail on the head about how the bad batch approaches this story because again like people will say this is filler or this is this isn't focusing on what we want to focus on as if like main galaxy altering story beats are what we need to focus on I think what the show does a really great job of is, like you mentioned, because obviously the periods between three and four has been well trodden, but more so towards the latter end mm. of the... Um, yeah, and and we've seen like the big sweeping parts of that build-up and that history. We've seen the formation yes. of the Rebel Alliance. We've seen the plans to steal the Death Star. We've, we've seen the big things that we arguably need to see but we haven't really seen the perspective of what were people doing living in this moment as we transition from a a decaying republic to a new organization that to us is immediately sinister because we've watched Mm -hmm. star wars and we know it's the empire we know they're fascists but to the citizens of the galaxy it's just this this well it's not even a regime change palpatine is still there he's just like got a preponderance for putting hoods on now and <laughs> his his troopers are, are are significantly meaner but we haven't really seen that sort of down-to-earth more intimate view of what it's like to live in this live through a moment of history in this galaxy and and see that transition occur at a very slow pace compared to what we're used to with star wars and I think what's great about it as well is that it doesn't beat you around the head with it verbally. Like, mm. you know, I guess a lot of people's criticisms of the prequels is that they're very, you know, it, it tells you it tells you what's going yeah. on. Anakin straight up says, like, I think uh, maybe an empire and a could be could be good. <laughs> like, yeah. whereas this, it shows you it visually. And I feel like when people go, "Oh, mm. well, this is for that, nothing happens," it's like, well, no, look what's happening in the episodes. Mm. Like, even in this one, just through the dialogue, like, the whole idea of slavery basically being allowed mm-hmm. to exist again because the Empire doesn't really care. Or in previous episodes, I think what I really love about the show, actually, is the way we view the Empire's formation 
depending on which planet we go to. Mm. On Onderon, they're very much of the of the mindset we're just being invaded again by yeah. by, by the people who claim to help mm. us. Whereas on the planet we were on last week, it was more of a case of yeah, uh, on Pantora it was like yeah, these people they just won the war. This is great. Like yeah. We've, we've, this is good news. Like we'll all get to move on, and it's both like both are valid points for those certain groups of people. Mm. And you can see why the galaxy one accepted the empire, and two would later welcome it back with open arms, kind of. And yeah. Trilogy. Um. So yeah, I've really appreciated the way the show delves into those things without having to sort of, again hit you around the head of it. Yeah. The fact that the clone troopers are wearing completely all white armor again. Um. I, I do appreciate the way that they're not using the dialogue to just stray up. Be like, because I know people so people say that as well on Twitter and like on social media, it can be difficult when people are like, mm. why don't they just say that? It's like, well, that's not really realistic. Like, people don't just go like, I think the Empire are good. These people don't. Yeah. Like, that's not how things work. Yeah, we we're starting, and like you said, and we'll we'll get to it eventually as we as we walk through the episode. But it's sort of. It's less. It's a less of a thing that needs to be stated, and a thing that you just sort of see as the tone of the stories that are being told sort of bends towards this arc. Like, like the antagonists that we meet in this episode were a problem for the Republic, but they were being dealt with at the time. And suddenly, now, now they're not. And what does that say about the state of the world that we're currently in? And like, what's what's being valued by people? And I think, like you said, that's been the interesting thing about the Bad Batch, it's sort of, it, it's, a, it's a show about the Empire being founded and establishing its dominance, but that's very much happening in the background of this character story. Mm-hmm. And you're sort of seeing it slowly tighten its grip and change the way that the galaxy operates, like sort of in the background. It's not necessarily the focus, but it's still an important thrust of the series. And that's, and like... That's all, that's exactly what I wanted out of this sort of thing. Like if we if we must go to this to this period of history again and and explore more of it as we have because like we've had the Darth Vader uh, comic second volume dealt with a lot of this early period from Vader's perspective. We've like like you said in the le- in the later stages of this we have Solo and Rogue One and Rebels that have all trod like the ground that we want to see the Rebels being founded, everyone doing the heroic thing against the face of the Empire, but we haven't seen this transition particularly in this way and this in this sort of slow burn manner, which is, which is really cool for Star Wars to do because it usually is like you want your lightsaber, you want your explosions, you want someone to use the force and say that they've got a bad feeling about it and you're happy. Yeah. And I I think what I loved about this episode as well was that we get to see a little bit more of how the galaxy quickly formed into the one that we see so like uh, one of the things I loved about um, the end of Revenge of the Sith is that this isn't a slow burn. This is something that's been building up. Apparently, mm-hmm. has been planning this throughout this time, and we get to see like the the outer rim sort of get used to the mm-hmm. galaxy now and sort of flourish a bit more. We get to see a lot of that in this week's episode. So why don't we start off with uh, the chronological order of the notes we have this week? And again, we can mm-hmm. jump around as much as mm-hmm. we want. Let's start off with obviously looking for answers. The episode starts off with the Bat Batch and the ship again, um, discussing their encounter with the Bounty Hunter, who we know as Phoenix Shand, but mm. at this time in the galaxy, they don't know who this person was. 
and they don't know why they're looking for Omega. What did you think stay about tuned. The they should stay tuned to Disney Plus later this year so they can see her in The Book of Boba Fett. It'll be yeah, great. Yeah, I mean, like, they didn't watch The Mandalorian Season 2? Like, what yeah. are they doing? What, what, what are they playing at? But, uh, like you said, I think a very interesting thing about this is almost like the concept of bounty hunting is very familiar to us because we're Star Wars fans and it's sort of, and it's also a thing that Disney has been exploring very closely recently, like in a lot of material, like The Mandalorian and like we're going to see with Book of Boba Fett. But it's almost alien to, to the Bad Batch. Like Omega has no idea because of the way she was brought. So she's just like, why, why is someone after me? But it's also like, this is a very alien element of the galaxy that we're familiar with that is completely strange to to Hunter and Tech and, and Wrecker. Just like, obviously, they know it's a dangerous threat and they know, they know obviously, to, to, to lay low to try and figure out what's going on, why, why like try and figure out who Fennec is. But at the same time, it's just sort of, this is a very new element to them. They're used to going up against faceless hordes of battle droids and... Mm-hmm. And winning, in particular, they're not used to having to run away and and like take a moment to try and figure out why why they're being targeted and and why they're being targeted in this way. And it's it's sort of really cool to see the clone army part of Clone Wars interact with like the sort of the underworld and criminal element that we've seen explored in other material here in in such a particularly unique way of like. They're clone troopers. They're soldiers. They know they know how to fight a fight, but they don't know how to deal with the idea of someone putting a hit out on them. Yeah, which is kind of ironic considering who they're based on. But the yeah. difference there was that obviously Django Fett, as their key DNA like giver, yeah. had to teach Boba Fett how yeah. to think about Anna. He had to teach him what to do, like what. And I wonder if, if there are those bits of elements in their DNA still, like like mm. you know, source memory, maybe they can remember certain bits and pieces, and that's why they're they're obviously better at fighting and stuff, so that, yeah. that comes into it. But you're right, like these are soldiers that are trying to deal with relatively peacetime. Yeah. No no one no one looked up the genetic FAQ to to see what the post-it note was on, on Django's back background and his and his specialties, <laughs> which is which is very funny to me, but at the same time it, it makes it makes getting another criminal element story. And we, we get to see another side of it when we get to Ord Mantell, which is um, a planet known for these sort of criminal and dealings and has been, has been explored in the Disney canon before, but is also like a, a well-known world from the old expanded universe. So it's cool to sort of see an, another layer of it here. And also we're very specifically dealing with people when we meet the... Um, the lovely Trandoshan contact that the Echo has has brought up for the team, and is like, oh, I know the Jedi talked about her, but I've, like, I've got no idea what's going on otherwise. Which because why would he? He's a soldier who follows orders. Like the Jedi say, well, you need to go see this person. They go to the person. So it's it's very cool to sort of well, it's not really cool. It's the direct opposite of cool because they completely fumble about until Omega just walks up to him. It's like, oh, hey, you're the contact. Um. But it's sort of having to see them interact with that element and be very much and be very much out of their element. Yeah, um, is is a really interesting way, especially because like the Bad Batch as a concept is meant to be the, the elite 
special soldiers unit. Like they're good at what they do, but that's what they're good at. They're not good at everything else that they suddenly have to deal with, whether it's being a parental figure to Omega or navigating a strange and relatively lawless aspect of the galaxy. Yeah, and like they were bred obviously to be soldiers, and in this case, like you said, specific soldiers doing specific tasks. And that's what I love about it is that the idea of like the inhibitor chip maybe continues to give some sort of sense of structure mm. to the imperial to the clones who are now imperials mm. because they're following the empire. But for these clones and Rex, it's like what do they do in peacetime? They don't really have yeah. anything to do. We know that later on in Rebels, they mentioned that the clones have some sort of retirement plan. Mm. But what, like, they've just sort of been bred to fight in a war that no longer exists, which I found really interesting. And Omega is there to maybe... like We don't know why she was created, but she seems to have a, a better understanding of the galaxy as is. She doesn't know what dirt is, but mm. she knows how to pick Sid out of... Um, yeah, these random people, and again, great voice acting from Rhea Perlman, who plays Sid, and I just love this new introduction of this character. That the Jedi are hanging around, <laughs> like what were they doing? Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's very interesting to see someone in Sid who's like was like not necessarily affiliated with the Jedi, but familiar with with certain elements of the Order and had an ongoing process and relationship with them, and is suddenly had to drop that and adapt to this new world. And she's clearly adapted very quickly and very easily. And once again, contrasting that with the Bad Batch, who was sort of like, it's like, oh, we knew the Jedi did this, but that was it. That's all we needed to know. And now we actually need to know what's up with you and like, what do you do? And like, they're thrust into this world of being mercenaries to and sent off to go hunt down some very familiar um alien bad guys yeah i feel like that sort of ties in with the citizens of the galaxy as well like on some planets certainly the lower elements the different classes for different planets the empire isn't much of a difference to some people Mm. it's a it's a bonus because they get you know money or they get like obviously the money comes from nefarious Mm -hmm. means and uh colonization but for them and like in real world the working class people are like, well, it doesn't affect me. It, it yeah. improves my life. Then I'm not going to complain about that. Mm. Um, so, yeah. And like you said, straight um, villains that we are very familiar with, which is, as Zygerians, who we all know, just straight up suck, apparently. Like, there's no yeah. good Zygerians. I don't want to classify all of them as bad, but until I see one that isn't that it's terrible. A, it's, also, it's also a very Star Wars thing, though, to go, like, here is your, here is your planet of the bad people and it's especially interesting in that we're introduced to a Trandoshan who is like not exactly a paragon of nobility and, and justice but he's presented as an ally whereas for a very long time we knew the Trandoshans as they were Bosque therefore they're all bounty hunters or they're all unpleasant people and we're sort of still seeing that with the Zygerians here because Without without the Republic sending Obi Wan into Two Face, everyone, um, <laughs> as as he did in the arc they were introduced in in the Clone Wars, um, we sort of we get to see what happens when there isn't a force like the Jedi to check Zygerians 
like enslaving people in Republic territory. Um, mm. now, like the the Empire, are just like sure, whatever. Like go, you do you. We've got other. We've got we've got super lasers to to mine crystals for. Yeah, or that, or we'll just let you pass if you give us money for it. Like it's, yeah. it's the um, like they said that it's straight up say like, well, we're going to rebuild the planet, we're going to rebuild the system, we're going to rebuild what we had in place, and that's what you see as well. You see this in the real life worlds, how like these different. Well, I mean, look at as our the British Empire flourished. Yeah, we allowed slavery, and we, and even if we were like, well, this is wrong, we still gained from it. Like when mm. in in. To get into the real world talk like when Britain abolished the slave trade, we still yeah. got cotton and yeah, we still got massive financial benefits from it. But we just got to say we were the first people to to get rid of it, so good for us. But <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's that's what I love about seeing these elements included in the stories, mm. and it pushes people to actually go and read the real world situations, and you go, mm. oh, well, this is what they're building off. And yeah, yeah, we might see some good Zygerians. What I mean, maybe in the High Republic, we'll get like a, a Zygerian Jedi. Like we get a really nice yeah. Trendosian Jedi, but who knows? At this point, not not looking good for the Zygerians. yeah, not not looking great for the Zygerians. And it's it's like it's what we were talking about with sort of the moral recalcitrance of the galaxy right now, with with the Empire focusing on what it's focusing on on a like not just on an ideological standpoint, but like the, the bureaucratic standpoint of we've seen them slowly integrating with sort of stripping people of identity down to the idea of like, you are a chain code, you are a number in our system and we use that to control you. Like while they're focusing on that, we sort of see the galaxy slip back into these, like, like we said, no one's dealing with the Zygerians just like showing up on planets and taking people because they can and it's because yeah. it's what they it's what they want to do, and they know they can do it without the Jedi showing up to be angry at them because they're all dead now. And it's very interesting seeing that sort of. It's a setup to what is essentially like a very standard episode. The Bad Batch gets a job; they have to free someone from some bad people, and they go and do that. But framed in the narrative of sort of seeing the galaxy slip into this period of of moral decline and sort of a centralization of what ruling powers actually are focusing on and what actually care about sort of gives it gives the bad batch a really interesting open to sort of not just explore that but like specifically have agents of the former republic see that change happen and and see like like see what their brothers are are letting sidle on by while they like document people traveling from place to place or exterminate any potential dissidents. Yeah. And I feel like as well, like seeing the, the bad, I know someone mentioned this on Twitter as a complaint and it's the idea of why didn't they bring up the fact that the clones in themselves are basically people that were sold for mm. battle and why did they compare that? I feel like it's, <laughs> It's one of those things that I mentioned before where you don't necessarily have to spell it out. It's there in the subtext. Yeah. Um, I think we're all saying, we're all thinking the same thing when they're talking about mm. buying people. And there's these people that are, are free of their own, they've got their own free will currently. Yeah. We see uh, Wrecker. Like uh, last week when they didn't bring up the whole Wrecker head thing, I was like, 
I thank God. Yeah. That was just him bumping his head. And then they brought it back this week. And, and then like, it happened again this week. And I was just like, oh, okay. okay I, see what you, I see what you're doing, television show. Thank you for hitting me over the head with it. I, but yeah. I just, I, I swear to God. I hope that he's going to be like the first patient of of uh, Dr. X. He comes in yeah, with his little like, toolkit, scrapes it out and says... Yeah, he just, he just needs Echo's... Um, screwdriver hand. He's just going oh, like, to big hole. Yeah. Oh my god. I like. I just. I really hope he's going to be okay because I do not yeah. want to see him. And especially, he gets. There's a really great moment with him and Omega when they're on the shuttle near the start of the episode and they're sort of laying it out and like they have that subtle little like high five in the background and it's just like <laughs> it's all incredibly cute and I don't want to see that like. And this is part of the things like I had a bit of prob- a problem with when um, actually I when I interviewed some of the the crew behind the series ahead of it, I was, we spoke about crosshairs inhibitor chip being. Uh, I think I think I referred to it perhaps not so delicately as like dialing the space fascism all the way up to eleven, <laughs> like when he was when he was Uh-oh. having his his chip yeah. juiced up. And I sort of like like that. That was a thing for me. It's like I like just from a personal standpoint, I thought it would have been much more interesting to see a division among the team that's more driven by like what happens if what happens if Crosshair was just like this seems like a cool way to maintain order in the galaxy now that the Jedi are gone. Like mm-hmm. the Empire seem the em- I'd like to subscribe to the Empire's Hollow newsletter, but um, <laughs> instead of it just being like flip, bring go bad. Now, now yeah. you're now you're the head of an imperial death squad. Good for you. And I'm hoping that's ultimately what we see with with Wrecker. If like, unless, like you said, like with Rex, if Rex just shows up and just goes like, "Hey, I know how to." Ahsoka told me how to to switch chips off. I can, I can, I can do it. Boop, gone. You're now, you're yeah. now free. You're now free to be morally good people. <laughs> well, um, that's the the thing about. The thing about with Star Wars is that it's difficult because they're like you have to explore real world aspects, but also it's Star Wars where the bad guys wear red and yeah. black, and the good guys wear blue. Yeah, and I feel like the core arc of this series, I feel like, is going to be saving Crosshair. Yeah, and I and I do understand why people and why the idea of him just like turning bad is good. Yeah. I feel like you can do more. If you explore that with the yeah through recruits. the chips yeah and because with the I think like my the key tenant of the um of Revenge of the like post Revenge of the Sith the whole point of that era for me is based on two themes and that is hope and tragedy mm-hmm. and I feel like with the inhibitor chip it it it, it delves into both tragedy and when you have people like Rex it delves into the hope of the tragedy. Mm-hmm. It like balances it out. So yeah. with Crosshair, I feel like there's a lot to do because if he is saved and he lives through that, having yeah, and so, you know, so having having to have dealt with having the chip enforced on him will be will be interesting if if he ends up being redeemed. But um, I'm hoping when it comes to obvi- like they are obviously starting to set something up with Wrecker that something is either wrong with his chip or it's mm-hmm. slowly slowly trying to. To inhibit him, I, I hope I'm, I'm hoping that's where I'll see the sort of the thing I 
I was expecting with Crosshair to sort of play it, so they can they can have their cake and eat it that way. That'd be um, cool. Which would be well, very yeah, interesting like... to see because otherwise, I don't want to I don't want to see him be angry and try to shoot at Omega or something. That would suck. Look, if we see that, I feel like we are going to see that. It's going to be upsetting. I feel like it's going to be like yeah. a whole episode. It's going to be like the scene in Age of Ultron where the Hulk goes crazy. <laughs> they have to like deal with him. They they're going to push yeah. him down. Get the chip out, and then I feel like he's definitely going to be like. I think what's happening is that they're going to explain the first part of the season. Maybe is mm. them sort of working out what's going on, what Omega's deal is, and then they're going to meet up with Rex. And the the plan is they're going to try and save as many clones as they can. And yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if Wrecker is first. Like he goes a bit crazy. They yeah. get the chip out. He's like, okay, well, we can do this. And then the goal is, oh, we need to save Crosshair. But yeah. on the way there, we need to get as many as we can. I wouldn't be surprised if we get to see Wolf, Gregor, who we see, and obviously the Rebels. Yeah. Maybe Cody, or they might save him for season two. Yeah. I feel like Crosshair would be, and then in the season finale, I expect them to save Crosshair, which mm. sets up a really good idea for season two, which is what does Crosshair, like, how does he deal with what he's done? Yeah. Because. Like- Rex implies that he straight up remembers what he did to Ahsoka, and he's mm-hmm. like, "No, I was going to kill you. Like, you don't like. Yeah, it was me. Like, I, I not what I wanted to do, but it was me. So, mm-hmm. I mean, Crosshair's going to have to deal with the fact that he burnt these like old ladies and kids to the ground. Yeah, and so that's I, interesting. Yeah, and and that that's that's a really interesting long game for them to to explore with that character, but we'll, we'll have to see how it goes. Fingers, fingers crossed. We've got a bit to go before we, we get there. We've got like what 11 ish episodes before the end of the season now, but we've got, we've got time to explore more facets because that's, that's been another interesting thing about between this episode and last week as well. We sort of, the empire has moved to the background a bit and I'll be interested to Uh see, if that's something that the show keeps up for a bit before we sort of barrel back into it for the for the end game of this season in particular, but it's been it's been fascinating that the first few episodes were so very imperial heavy um, for for understandable reasons, but sort but sort of very much telling these stories about like we're running away from the em- from from this new empire where we're dealing with that issue specifically, whereas now we're sort of taken away from that to a bit to explore this side of the galaxy with with all that stuff in the background and and that's been very enjoyable because what ultimately what we get out of that exploration especially this week and i could not ask for any more because it's more space bows in a galaxy far far away and everyone (laughs) needs more space bows but uh we finally we get to see omega um not just like help like actually be be a part of the team this week um a little bit out of necessity when when the batch get uh, our elite special force team begins their mission and then immediately gets captured um, <laughs> which was great like honestly, incredibly funny just to see them doing all like their little commando routine and then suddenly a giant dragon lizard thing shows up and completely wipes all of them out um 
but getting to sound like Return of the Jedi, like when yeah. Han is just like hanging yeah, like, upside down and yeah. very good, very good, like space hijinks ensue, um, moment. But it also what well, the the thing I like most about this episode um, was that it sort of facilitates Omega coming into her own as a member of the team, and it's 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 done out of out of force. Like she's got no other choice than to to go out to the camp after Hunter sends her away at the start of the mission to go back to the ship. Like she's got no choice when the Zygerians show up, other than to actually go out and try and help them. Um, but there was, there would have been, there's a worse version of this episode out there where the Zygerians don't go to the shuttle and she just sort of decides, well, I'm going to go help anyway, because I want to be a member of the team. And then after, after the day saved, Hunter looks at her and goes like, you should thank you. Thank you for doing that. But you shouldn't have done that because I told you to stay with the ship. Whereas here necessitating that she has to make that, like the choices be discovered and be captured the same as them. Or actually be a part of the team and and be the part of the team that gets them to actually complete the mission and and save the the slaves and and save Moochie, um, who we'll get to eventually. But um, like having her come into her own and find a way to navigate a very stressful situation that she hasn't really been in before. Um, and sort of come out of it and and be seen like no one chides her for doing it or like like or no one specifically notes like we told her to stay with the ship or or something like that like she just does it and they just accept that she's there to help them and is part of the team and can actually get things done and like I said she gets rewarded with a really cool looking space boat <laughs> yeah and she starts getting off with the new uh, the, the sort of the arm yeah with the with the oh. little crosshairs old communicator. Which I really love, and I love the. It starts off with the sort of the comedic little uh, her playing out of it, which we all would yeah. do. Like it's not yeah. just a child thing. I feel like everyone would I'm do that. Want, wanting to use it all the time, despite the fact that she's literally in the same in the same room. Same room. <laughs> yeah, which I thought was so great. And then, but we do see it. Like she's like, I'm not just the child. I'm also part of the team. Mm. And also, she's a Django duplicate. So she's she's got the skills. It's all yeah, she knows, in there. Yeah, there is something that she can do. And we sort of see that latently coming in when she's sort of like stealthing about the camp and like like even the simple thing of when she finds Moochie knowing to go for that as a distraction instead of trying to tackle the, the problem head on is also like A, it's a great way because they don't need to deal with Omega trying to find a way to suddenly shoot up a bunch of slavers, but at the same time, it's <laughs> like, like you said, it, it speaks it speaks to that inherent ability that there is in somewhere that she is this she's from the same template as them. She she may not have had the same kind of training, but there is some there is something in her, and there is something there's also something in her as as a character. She really wants to help these people. Like she cares about them. She wants to. She wants to feel a part of this unit, not just not just because they all are from the same template. Like, um, but the, no, like she wants, she wants to, yeah. Like it's Star Wars. She wants. She desperately yearns to establish that connection, and and if she has to do that by letting a rancor out to eat some slavers, then she's going to do it, which is great. <laughs> which 
I mean, let's be honest, who cares about flavors? They could be eaten. We don't care. Yeah. Slavery's bad. Is, is, is yeah. the point I'm trying they're, to make? They're yeah. there to get they're, they're there to get in by rancors and for our heroes to beat them up because because they because they're slave traders. They trade people. That's bad. There's also a really great moment which I know that everyone keeps pointing out now, which is the because uh, Omega is great at mimicking, and there's a yeah. scene where Hunter has got the binoculars out, and then I think it's like either Echo or like Tech has got his ones out as well, and then she's just like kneeling down with her own at the same yeah. time. And yeah, yeah, it's a just, great shot. There's there's a great thing, and they've they've done it a few times at this point in the show, and every time they do it, it's adorable, despite the fact that they've done it repeatedly. But they always have this little moment where she she will look around and see what everyone else is doing, and then immediately copy it, which is just yeah. the most adorable little little thing. I love I like Omega is my favorite aspect of the series by far already. She's one of my favorite characters in Star and, Wars, like just by being. In- like yeah. not like not only is the concept interesting, but she's just like like Michelang gives a, a phenomenal phenomenal performance even in the short time we've got to know her. And I think this episode for me was sort of really where it comes to the fore, where it's like she's established as a capable member of the team and and has that willingness, but is still also just like cute as hell because she's an adorable little kid. And that's what Star Wars does now. It gives us adorable little kids to <laughs> To buy merchandise off, but yeah, I feel like the the episodes from the Clone Wars were like the Bad Batch's pilot episode, and then mm. these first five episodes of the Bad Batch show is kind of like Omega's pilot. Yeah, and her yeah, totally. being part of that team. And I, yeah, I, I feel like my theory is still that she has like Peter Petrelli that like abilities where she has got mm. empathy and mimicry, and she can like maybe like learn skills or like learn people's like sensibilities and knowledge through the fact that she can empathize, empathize with people. So I really like the fact that she, like you said, like she mimics people, she, but she also cares about mm. people and yeah. sort of just delves into that, which feels very like Jedi like. Um, and yeah, again, like you mentioned, we see her uh, save the child that they're looking for on behalf of Sid, who turns mm. out to be, Moochie. The most Gross. adorable rancor who has caused you quite some considerable trouble apparently the, the last few days. Yes, I made I made the assumption because I'm a writer and I'm on a deadline. So where <laughs> when I wrote my recap I very I very glibly was like, it's a bit silly to give Jabba the Hutt's rancor an origin story because oh Star Wars, you do love to connect everything together. But it turns out that either Rancors don't last very long at Jabba's palace, which is very, which is very funny. The idea that he just sort of, he just sort of chews through rancor after rancor, and they just keep like a Jedi Knight keeps showing up to drop a door on them, and he's just like, oh, not again. We've got to get another one. But um, but yes, it turns out that um, the ja- the the rancor that we know and love for approximately twenty-ish minutes of Return of the Jedi is not is not Moochie, um, and he's apparently a male rancor, whereas Moochie's female which mm. good job good job to the people who spotted that within five seconds to put it on well, it's, because video, the, it's, the, it's the rancor penis and the special yeah yeah Every, everyone's yeah everyone's just looking for for alien organs to 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 get it get down on wikipedia as quickly as possible but um <laughs> but yes it turns it turns out that like while while we still have the return of the jedi link in that the the people who have put out this contract for sid are 
is is none other than Jabba's major domo, Bid Fortuna, who is um, it was Matthew Wood who came back again, to the yeah. which is which is a cool link between once again another link between this and the Mandalorian, but also obviously like he voiced he he played Bib very briefly in the Phantom Menace as well. But it's it was cool to see that link, but also it does raise the very silly question of like is is Bib, Bib Fortuna just a sort of a rancor pusher? Like that's that's his actual speciality for the for the next twenty years. He's finding <laughs> he's finding rancors for huts all over the syndicate, and is just like like you need something to put in that lavish pit that you built. Just call Bib. He's the he's the he's the go to pet guy. Yeah, he's he's the pet detective of the galaxy. Um, I yeah, I, I had the same thing where I I read Aftermath, so I knew about Patisa. So mm-hmm. I put a tweet after I watched the episode, which was very vague because I didn't want to spoil the thing. And someone completely misunderstood what I meant. <laughs> and I was like talking about this. And I was like, oh, for God's sake. I had to delete it because I was being vague to not say Rancor, basically. Yeah. And so I was like, well, actually, that's a different Rancor. I'm like, well, what, one, you spawned a few people that I was being vague against. <laughs> Two, not my point. My, my tweet was saying along the lines of, hmm. I'll never be able to watch Return of the Jedi again. My point wasn't that it's the same rancor. My point was that rancors are very cute, and now we yeah. know that Luke could have like you know and a little little wrestle one in. Yeah, if Luke if Luke had just repeatedly punched the rancor in the face until they were both <laughs> tired, that'd be great. He wouldn't have had to throw that skull at um at that weird. panel. Yeah, I which is also another very I... funny thing that part of this is actually. Like and, and part of the reason in the first place that I thought it, there was the link there to Return of the Jedi is that um, the character that is that skull in Return of the Jedi got a very funny backstory in the old expanded universe. Um, Bidlow Quirv, um, who was actually a rival of Bid Fortuna's for Jabba's Majordomo position, and part of part of the competition between them to see who would earn Jabba's favor was related to, to, to the acquisition of that rancor. And obviously oh. Bidlow, Bidlow won the honour of being one of the first people to be devoured by it instead. So I like part of my complaint with the ep- with the episode was sort of and like as a link to last week's as well, which is sort of the idea is like it's characters that we know from other the Star Wars material showing up in the new Star Wars thing. So you know like, oh hey, like this is what they were up to when this was happening, which is sort of an ongoing problem with me in Star Wars is that it feels a little insular at times, and that was part mm. of my complaint when I thought when I thought the rancor was was the rancor was that, but it sort of still carries over with Bib. But I I I very in, in and like you said to avoid spoiling things for fans on Twitter, I very nearly tweeted something like, <laughs> "What? Why did we have to have Bib Fortuna when we could have had Bidlow Quirve show up?" And only like about three people would have knew, known what that was and completely lost their minds. Yeah, I think that answers your question. When it happened, but <laughs> I would have been one of those people, and I would have been really excited. But yeah, I alas, get it. we I... we we had to get Bib to to show up and be like, now now I just have more questions. Like, where where's where's the book of Bib Fortuna? Like, and is that book just filled I've... with no. selfies of him and cute small monsters? I think at one up, obviously that's, that's that is the case. Uh, two. It's him being body positive and 
like being able to eat whatever he wants without jabbing yeah. him, despite him being, you know, like yeah, despite being a, a, a space slug, a space slug, like he, you know, he gets to do whatever he wants. Um, yeah. I think that this episode gave me a few ideas about where the show could be going and why the show was created. It also mm. very much. Like you said, I think it was interesting. The whole debate about like characters turning up for mm. me is interesting. And I feel like it is a personal thing sometimes. Yeah. I think sometimes it's what will the audience know. Like before Tuna, I can imagine like because he's in episode one, maybe that backstory doesn't hold as much because he's been hit like he's apparently he's been like chilling mm. out with Jabba for yeah. years. Um It's gotta it's gotta be stable employment to yeah. to last what 30, 40 years by the time he gets he gets yeah. zapped at the end of Mando season two. Um, yeah. And Fennec is like, if she's going to be the biggest bounty, if she's like the best bounty hunter by the Mandalorian, mm. I'd be surprised if she didn't show up yeah. <laughs> in like this, these materials. So I, I get mm. that. Like, I, I do appreciate that. And also, you know, like if we get to see Cat Bane again, I'm not going to complain. Because yeah, we want to see his stupid head get shot off, and I think we actually might see that in the series. Because yeah. I think the more we delve into the Bad Batch, it's certainly about the Bad Batch. It's certainly about Omega yeah. and the state of the galaxy. But I also kind of, and I, I could be proven wrong. I think this might be a proto series for the Book of Boba Fett. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd actually be inclined to agree because, like you said, we've got. We have Fennec in as like the grounding element of like, hey, this character that you're about to see a lot more of, like what mm-hmm. what was her deal before the Mandalorian? And that perhaps might be a cynical read of the show, like to look at it from sort of the perspective of Lucasfilm's got a new thing to promote at the end of the year. So so here's 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 Ming Na Wen getting getting paid, which good for her, great. Like Always yeah. pay me now when like pay her double, pay her more, just like give her more money. Like, if she, if, she, if she, did, if she doesn't, she doesn't have to show up. Just keep paying her money. But um, if you look at it from from that perspective of they obviously have this big thing to show up, but at the same time, and this was something that Clone Wars itself touched on. Mm. We got to we got to see the young Boba integrate himself into the world of 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 his father's profession and slowly examine his relationship with, with the galaxy and, and be this angry young man with, um, with a small squad of, of Hitman by his side, which was very funny, but at the same time, but at the same time, a very interesting idea. And it would be, it would be of interest, especially when our protagonists also carry like, the spectre of Django exactly over them in some way to sort of to see Boba interact with that. So I, I do wonder if, if we'll end up seeing him. And then that's, a, that's another thing that could also tie into um, like, obviously part of the ongoing mystery that we get a little bit of here as well is that obviously someone, someone with a lot of valuable and powerful connections has hired Fennec to go after Omega. And while, while it might be an obvious point to go, is oh, it's just like the Imperials want this important asset back. Of course, they'd like they may we may know them for saying that they don't need that scum, but they actually do need that scum to mm-hmm. navigate the sort of 
to to navigate this sort of side of the galaxy with a deft touch. So like it might be obvious that it could be the Empire and it could very easily be the Empire who are the ones looking after, but at the same time there's the potential like the Kaminoans know what uh, I think it's a absolutely clone, a clone kid of Django Fett could be a very dangerous and or and and be a very valuable thing indeed. Like they've already seen that with Boba. So I wonder if that would be a very as much as I personally, as a noted disliker of Boba Fett, even though he's much better <laughs> now after the Mandalorian than he was before it, um, but as a as a note as a noted Boba Fett hater, I might slightly dread the idea of young Boba showing up. But like you said, there are a lot of like examining him in this period of time and sort of dealing with the lingering ramifications of like his whole arc when he showed up in the Clone Wars was that he that he hated Mace Windu and he wanted to kill Mace Windu. He wanted revenge. Not of the Sith, but Sith adjacent. Um, mm. He, like, he, he he watched his dad get executed and, like, those pe- the people who did it are the vaunted heroes of the galaxy. And, like, what does, yeah. what does that mean to him as, as, as this young, this young man trying to now find a place on his own in the galaxy? And if they follow up with that as a contrast to to Omega and to to the Bad Batch and their weird relationship with Django in the first place, I think that will be very interesting. But we'll we'll have to wait and see. That's the beautiful, frustrating thing with Star Wars is perhaps not so much that it loves to make these connections, but we are waiting for the inevitability of seeing how that connection forms and like there are potential ways for it to be a really interesting examination like how does he feel now how how does boba feel now that the chance to kill mace windu has been robbed of him because all the jedi are gone like how does he feel about the empire how does he feel if he if he sees omega and or and and not only sees her but finds out that she is of the same is is essentially his sister Mm. in a very bizarre and peculiar way, but a sister nonetheless, like what is his reaction to, to that idea? And, and how, how does he compartmentalize that and navigate it? So if he does have to show up, there are plenty of interesting ways to deal with it beyond just like stay tuned for fall 2021 on Disney plus to seeing Tamara Morrison kick ass and take names. And I think what's interesting about, uh, the, the Clone Wars and the Mandalorian version of Boba Fett, which I prefer mm. than like, the sort of generic nineties uh, comic book and yeah. like about the bounty hunter comic book that came out recently, is yeah. that he's not the badass cool dude flying in just doing whatever he yeah. wants. It's the it's the bounty hunter who, are kind of a bit like Han Solo, deep down he has got a moral code, mm. and we do see that like he doesn't want to kill everyone mm. if you can make money out of it you know like with Han Solo, like people like say yeah but what about Han Solo what you do with Han Solo I'm like well to be fair like Han wasn't like the most <laughs> innocent yeah. of people and, and and Han is also ultimately like a rival to or, or like and we sort of get to see the idea of it here it's like like Han Han, Han was a job to Boba like yeah. he was being he was being presumably paid quite handsomely by by the empire for hunting him down but 
at the same, and we start to see that navigation at the end of this episode when Bib Bib has got his rancor off to take him off to, to take Muchi off to Rancor's Iris or whatever he does <laughs> with his army of exotic pets for for Jabba or for multiple huts. Other huts are available. Um, but we start to see this very interesting relationship twist between Sid and Hunter at the very end of the episode where she sort of like you already have this very interesting perspective in that like she's not of the Bounty Hunters Guild like it's not a it's not a professional relationship in that in that sense that they have suddenly become Bounty Hunters well she she says it it's like it's a world of mercenaries and what does that mean to Hunter now that he has found himself not almost almost played into because like the way she frames it is is that essentially like I know that Fennec is a is a already pretty well established bounty hunter. They don't send her out for any old smash and grab contract. Like yeah, just by coming to me and letting me know that Fennec Shand is after you gives me a position of power over you now because I know someone someone very powerful and and, and very moneyed wants you and wants Omega and now you have to deal with me knowing that. And there's not only that very interesting antagonistic relationship now where they're sort of damned if they do, damned if they don't. But like you said, we're we're coming we're examining this this aspect of the Star Wars galaxy from we've obviously started to see a lot of bounty hunter stuff in material recently through the Mandalorian and, and through Boba being back, but now getting to sort of examine that criminal underworld from a different lens of like, like being a mercenary in the star Wars galaxy is very different to the structure of the bounty hunters guild and sort of the relationship those characters have with their contracts. So it's going to be interesting to see, a how how long Sid stays in the picture as they're sort of they're sort of in way into this world, but the the batch sort of shedding their identity as soldiers and and becoming like a mercenary force, becoming these sort of armed wanderers of the galaxy, and like like how do they react to that? How do they navigate that as people like beyond the fact that it's suddenly their job now because the people that they served are all dead. Yeah, and I think what's interesting, I'll delve a bit into the mercenary stuff in a second, but Mm. to go back to what you were saying as well, like, it is like, oh, well, I can blackmail you into basically having, like, five uh, Jagged Fets. Yeah. (laughs) Which is pretty good if you're like looking for, like, some bounty hunters to work with you. Um, But also, I feel like the way that this builds into the book of Boba Fett, and I know you said, like, cynically, you can view it as, like, a subtle advertisement for the show, mm-hmm. which it is. It depends on like how is that a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah, like what you want to see from it. I think for me, like the only if you have a story that's that can d- delve into the themes at the same time, you should absolutely mm-hmm. go for it. The same way that Rebels had Saw Gerrera in their art. Yeah, was that a tie-in to Rogue One? <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. But at the same time, if it made sense thematically, then you should absolutely go for it. And I think with Boba Fett, like we have the, the opportunity to delve into his 
character mind here. Mm. We know there were story arcs that were never completed for the Clone Wars, which could tie in. Mm. We know that he is a an altered Django duplicate, so that if the Kaminoans are trying to look for a, a person to replace yeah. part of a sample, maybe they want to delve into him. Uh, Fennec, of course, we're going to delve into her history. Like I thought originally, like if she was just in one episode, then it's probably just a one-off. Mm. The fact that they ended it off as if that like, she's constantly after them makes mm. me feel like she's going to be in more episodes. So I feel like there's definitely more to that. And if they do confirm that this rancor, because they're quite frankly, like, no disrespect to Aftermath, but those, like, particularly the little set, the different mm. passage, like the different sections where it's like a, mm. a one-off story, those can be kind of rewritten or swept away. I feel yeah. like. They're not like the core story plot. And in a way, the Bad Batch, this is also this is has long been a thing sort of like to look at it a bit more meta narratively, to like to look at Lucasfilm's relationship with time material and what it is actively producing at the time. This was a this was a thing with Clone Wars. Like mm. Clone Wars multiple times overwrote bits of what pe- what of what people perceive to be established canon because it was in the books at the time but clone wars mm-hmm. is like we don't care what's in the book we're making the star wars so we get to say what happened in the star wars like we're doing it now and while the disney the disney front has been more of the idea of establishing this everything matters everything is tied in everything is is canonical to both itself and to to everything that has come before it in this in this era of Disney's ownership, um, we have seen elements of things that came out that are that have been altered after the fact or have been contradicted by something and overwritten by it. And like in a way, the Bad Batch has always has also done that already slightly in the tweaks that it made to um, Caleb Doom's origin mm. in the premiere episode. So it will be very interesting. To see if I if if I am ultimately vindicated that rancor based shenanigans are do tie that closer to Return of the Jedi, but also it's it, and like you said, it's um, the idea of all the potential that the show has in in saying we are exploring this element of Star Wars, we're exploring the criminal underworld and the people caught up in it and its relationship to this new order. And as that's become an increasing focus of the wider franchise in what we're seeing in these television shows, like we've, we've had the Mandalorian to explore a very similar thing to this, but like in the aftermath of the new Republic. Yeah. And now we're seeing it um, here in the aftermath of the foundation of the empire. And there's the potential for it to sort of retread around and like not necessarily trip over itself, but sort of like it has to tell its own story. So it, it doesn't really care what happened in a book or what happened in a comic. Um, and you wrote, feels, a really great article. Be... you wrote a really great article about like Canon and how we view Canon uh, and how Canon isn't necessarily like <laughs> stamped it, in a piece of metal. Yeah, it, it, this it, is, it this is the law. It, yeah, it doesn't have to be the end, the be all and the end all. And as and and like I've said here today, like um, as much as I can be frustrated with Star Wars circling back over itself and 
catching us up with all these different characters to see how they are in this new era. But there's also like the huge potential of doing interesting things with those characters that we did not necessarily expect because they have the opportunity to show up in these stories. And it will be interesting now that the show has, because I've coming into Bad Batch, like much was made of the impetus of the, this is a show about being on the run from the empire. This is about the rise of the empire. This is seeing that lens, that, that huge transition period from from people who had just fought this massive galaxy spanning conflict and now that we're sort of twisting a bit more and sort of the fo- the focus has tightened to this world of like not just the bad batches world in specific circumstances like that specific unit like we're dealing with these characters but now that we're dealing with this criminal element as well and sort of seeing how the normal people of the galaxy react to the, all this. And like, like these elements, like the bounty hunters guild didn't just show up when the empire showed up. Like they were there during the Republic. Like they have operated for hundreds, if not thousands of years of galactic civilization. It's, um, and getting to explore that in this period will be will be very interesting to to see what they have to say about it. And hopefully they do have, like, they do have really interesting things to say. Like, the the show's done a good job of setting that up so far, and I I really hope they continue to nail it. And, yeah, the idea of canon is that it doesn't necessarily rewrite or disregard stories. Because people forget that Star Wars itself is a giant text through space. It could be hmm. a story told over a campfire. It's the same. It's, it's literally the C-3PO telling the story to the Ewoks. That's Star Wars. Yeah. It's people saying the same story, the way they heard it, the way that King Arthur originally was a story told by Celts and yeah. uh, Welshmen. And then people added elements in later on. Like you, I, I made a joke with uh, Pablo Hidalgo the other day about this on Twitter. I was like, you could just imagine the idea of like some British guy having having an argument with a Roman Briton, be like, yeah. where, did the, "Where did this woman with the sword in the lake come from? This is rubbish. This is <laughs> my King Arthur." Like, uh, you can still read those books. You can still read legends and say, "That's my Star Wars." So that's the, how I view it. Hashtag and, bring back Arthurian folklore. Yeah, come on! Like, where did this? What, there's two. There's two swords. The sword and stone. Yeah. That seems a bit like, ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's the same arguments that keep happening over and over again, and I feel mm-hmm. like the thing with I think Ahsoka, Disney Star Wars did the, the best thing ever when they had Ahsoka said the line. There's always a bit of truth in legends. Yeah, it's such a brilliant line. It's like the stories we've been told might not necessarily be true, but some of the bits are bound to be true, and that's the same with history in general. Mm. History is what history is written by the victor. There's bits and mm. elements of that story that are obviously true and that things we, we dealt with. But a lot of it is probably not true. Like, think about how much stuff with royalty in, in Britain like, we've been yeah. told. And if you go back, it's like, well, that's not mm. necessarily not true. Like, the, like for example, William Shakespeare wasn't going to write King Henry V died of having the shits. <laughs> yeah. But that's what happened. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah, um, and it's, it's very interesting to see. And, and we have that set up here. Like, we have... 
and we got it a few episodes ago with Tarkin and and Admiral Rampart sort of like establishing the ground like the groundwork for the Imperial Army to become based on recruitment rather than clone manufacturing. We have that very specific moment of that history being told from their perspective of 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 how the empire was formed but we're already seeing like the cracks splintering underneath it um mm. and we're seeing it from like the perspective of the bad batch like there are there are all these different like 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 we said off the top like we're examining a, a very mo- important moment of history in star wars in this series and the chance to see it from all those different to to quote a Jedi Master, to see it from a certain point of view, may offer us a chance to to navigate things that we have seen before from an alternate perspective, and to see it perhaps not told the way that we, or like, or to to contextualize information that we'd already seen elsewhere. And they're setting up some really cool things. With aside from being like a very a very Star Wars story of a found family trying to navigate its place in this galaxy. We're already starting to see the potential for this show to comment on the idea of what we knew about this period of time in the first place, which is a significant amount already. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because Star Wars, Star Wars loves this 20-year period of of tumult, because why wouldn't it? It's a story of good guys and bad guys, and rise, rising up against an evil empire. That is, that's, that's Star Wars. Like, of course, it's fascinated with it, but to see it, to see it tackled from all these different perspectives and and through the perspective we're seeing in the Bad Batch is has already has already provided some very cool ideas and is continuing to set up some really cool ideas as as we progress through, like like we see them in this episode and we're going to see them in the rest of the series and it's. It's just gonna get in more and more interesting, hopefully. And I to wrap up this this final point about Moochie, I feel like if they do if they confirm that this is a different rancor, I know a lot of people are saying that maybe like this one died before the one we met in Return of the Jedi. I think it's gonna be the opposite. Because Bib Fortune if it seems particularly keen about this one. It seems to me like this is his pet. And if he's, he's building he, up a rival rancor, if he takes over Jarrah's palace, as we know he does in in the Mandalorian, he's what if he yeah. he's got his own rancor? So yeah. I'm saying, just, I'm telling you now, I wouldn't be surprised if in the book of Boba Fett we have Boba and he's got his the right Muchi is the rancor below. That would be, as with all good things about Star Wars, I would roll my eyes so hard <laughs> that they nearly fall out. But then I would love it because it's very, very silly. But, um, and Moochie yes, would know that face. Yeah, yeah, yeah Moochie, Moochie would know that face. She would understand it. She's like, that's my friend. She's like, yeah. okay, cool, yeah. Okay, okay, I'm so. convinced. I need, I, need to, I need to watch Boba punch Moochie the Rancor and be like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why she understands this works, but it works. Exactly. Uh, and then finally, our last point we'll wrap up with oh, you're quite the mercenary, which we, like you mentioned, yes. it kind of suggests that maybe the Bad Batch could work as mercenaries now in the galaxy, which is very interesting and is kind of what we've seen in real life as well. Yeah. A lot of people who leave the armed services don't know what to do with their life and end yeah. up 
becoming mercenaries because it's what they were trained to do. And I think and it'll I, be interesting I, to see that. I, re- I really like this because, and, and like I said before, there is, there's a much more boring version of this story where they do just become bounty hunters. And yeah. like, we do sort of get the Mandalorian, but now it's animated by the people who brought you the Clone Wars, which which would be very dull indeed. But the idea of setting up that, like, obviously there is going to be this system of people beyond the guild as a framework and as, a, as, as potential, like, not necessarily rivals, but just as, like, a separate party to, to a world that we has been well-trodden and is, and is very popular with, with Star Wars. Like, Star Wars fans love bounty hunters. Like, it's just sort of it is as important to the franchise as lightsabers and the force and X-Wings and TIE fighters, like the idea of this criminal element and getting to see that from the perspective of like, like Hunter, Hunter and Wrecker and Tech don't see themselves as criminals and Echo doesn't see them, doesn't see themselves as criminals either. Like they're just, this is paid work to, to carry on in a galaxy that's chewed them up and spit them out. And Mm -hmm. seeing that sort of, seeing them navigate that through this structure of, of having this antagonistic relationship with Sid now and just sort of like, this is the hand they've been dealt with and they've got to deal with it. And I really hope that's something that the show picks up on as we sort of, because if it feels clear, we're going to see more of Sid in the future. You, you don't get Rhea Pullman for one episode of star Wars. You make it do more because she's, she's Rhea Pullman and she's great. But at the same time, now that we have Sid established as this sort of both a connection to an old life that Echo knew and now also a further connection to like a sense of stability that these characters can find that that they've been looking for in these first few episodes. Now they have a momentary safe harbor to be sort of like we can get reliable work here and it's yeah, and it's going to be work that we know how to do because it involves shooting at things. Yeah, um, exactly. And I but think, get, but getting it from outside that perhaps more predictable idea of them going straight to the bounty hunters guild and going, right. Hey, Hey, what shoot, what, what shoot bang have you got? Like, we'll take <laughs> it. Um, is, is really cool. And I'm, I'm really glad that they did that instead of rehashing an idea that could have just been a bit more played out as we've started to see it explored more and more in other Star Wars streaming service, streaming shows that may or may not currently be available or are about to be available on a fine Mickey Mouse-owned streaming service. <laughs> and I think what I like about them as well is that they kind of sum up the Republic and how the Republic viewed things, which is that they're more of a positive view in the galaxy that they if they're mm. mercenaries they're not going to be out there they're not about straight up bounty hunters basically with, with no moral quandaries these are people that do have morals and of having taught by the jedi to look at things in a specific way and i think that's good i think that's nice i like yeah. seeing that still there's some positive yeah, it's, and goodness in the galaxy yeah it's carrying in that like it's not they're not doing it as dashing heroes of a of a war on behalf of galactic order, but they're sort of, they're carrying on that legacy of like helping where they can, which is, 
which is a very which is a very smart and sensible way to sort of categorize heroes that otherwise like hey kids here's your new star wars show with a bunch of assassins for hire <laughs> exactly don't, don't, you, yeah. don't you love them buy the action figures like use use the hashtag on twitter like that's all great but it's sort of the idea of them being sort of not quite so much a bastion of the republic but a sort of we want to help like we like I, it was our job to help people. Like, how do we do that now that that structure is no longer here? And this is an ideal way to do that, which gets them and the opportunity to shoot at bad guys every week for a bit. Exactly. exactly. And I feel like that thread of the Jedi still exists, even though they're all yeah. gone. Quotation mark. Um, there's something about them still survives throughout the way they imp- impacted people, especially the clones. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which brings us to our final thing, which is our overall thoughts and scores. Now, as you know, every week we give a score out of 10 Lulas, so we need a Mega and Lula to come up and... God, God bless her. Look at her. Look how happy she is. Uh, James, what would? how many Lulas would you give this episode and why? I think I'm going to... And this may, this may initially sound harsh, but I'm going to give it a pretty solid seven out of ten Lulas, which, which to me is a is a is a mm. good Lula is a good Lula, Lula ratio. Um, which no doubt I will now get angry people on Twitter. It's like, how dare you? Seven out of ten might as well be garbage. <laughs> but, um, but no, like it's a it's what could have otherwise just been a very average episode of like the Bad Batch have a mission, they go do the mission end of story like that's it mm. like a rancor shows up and bit fortune you know, carries her off but and and that's it but it, it in not just providing a sort of sense of context for omega to who's now got me saying omega instead of omega and i don't <laughs> i don't I, I don't like what that's doing to me as a person um <laughs> perfectly honest um because now i second guess myself every time i have to say it um but having having this be the sort of catalyst for her to just very naturally become a working part of the team and not just sort of her her have her necessarily like just dragged into it and sort of be like like I want to help I'm going to ignore you saying that you don't want me to help because you want to try and protect me from it like I have to be part of this world anyway her just sort of getting on with it and the rest of the team rolling with it and just like oh she like she's got a she's got a weapon now like she's got her communicator she knows she's no she knows what she's doing we don't have to sort of coddle her mm. as as we try to navigate this thing and and that's the thing that i liked most about what could have otherwise been a like a very like a, a serviceable but otherwise very standard episode and i think yeah it's it's good star wars it's good. It's good. Yeah, it's, good it's good. Seven. It's a good seven lulas. It's it's one of those things where it's like it might not be like a season finale, but also it's a Friday, and then you get a good piece of Star Wars, a bit of yeah. Star Wars cake to sit down and have a cup of tea with. Uh, yeah. I I would I agree. I feel like I would give this just a little bit more, just seven point five. Um, that bit Fortuna bias. I'm not even joking. That is part of the reason <laughs> I like. You got Matthew Woods as not only yeah. Bib Fortuna, but as a. Um, Twi'leks can be worth half a Lula as a treat. Yeah. 
and and the Gamora guards for the little briefcases, yeah. like the yeah. cool little bouncers they are. Like I was like, you know what? That wins me over. I thought the design <laughs> for the baby wrangle was was delightful. Yeah, uh, it made me go back. It makes me think about how the public would have viewed uh, Jabba's child Rotter if it was released today, as opposed to two thousand eight. Yeah, like a lot of people what? would be like, "Oh, baby, baby, yeah." Heart. Yeah, where's where's the baby Jabba discourse? Two thousand eight I mean, was a very different time where we, where our merchandise had not been infantilized to, to, laser precision cuteness. Which I, do you know what? I, I I'm desperately hoping we get more rotter content at some point. I feel like we've been yeah. let down in that regard. Uh, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed the episode. Mm. Like you like you mentioned, it wasn't the most like. I feel like it was the shortest episode. I'm pretty sure it felt like the shortest. I think so, yeah, I think it's definitely we've we've had the, they're all sort of floating around like the standard animation time frame of like 24 to 30 minutes. But I think this was yeah, I think this was on the short side, and like it did not need to be any longer. Like it was no. Although the ending was very abrupt, I think the cutoff point was like I was like that was a weird yeah. cut like. It was like a you're on Mercer now. Dun, 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 yeah. dun. I was like, "What, oh, Jesus? I like, to, like chill out. Let, let Hunter process this. He just he just got a new job. <laughs> like I thought, oh, maybe we should, we'll see him go back on the ship and or mm. something. But no, and that's not like a major deal. It was just one of those like small little things I noticed. I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, it's just one of those things. Uh, I thought again, getting the Zygerians back was a great way of introducing concepts from. Clone Wars, the shots and the, and the animation in the show, like I said last week, is mm. phenomenal. The the uh, the shot, there's like Lucasisms. I quite, I like to call them Lucasisms. <laughs> I can't even say that probably Lucasisms, which mm. some Star Wars directors know how to do. Some Star Wars directors do not know how to do. Mm. I feel like the best loot. I think one of the reasons why it's my favorite film of the new bunch is because shout out to Gareth Edwards. Rogue One has a lot of Lucasisms, the mm. way the ships land and like yeah. they, they look a spin. There's a scene in Rogue One where they land on Jeddah and the ship does like a spin. Does, and yeah, does that like the little the little three quarter rotate as it comes into land is, Exactly. Is a very Star Wars touch. And that's very much Lucas is like very prequel and there was the shot when yeah. the ship lands in the and I, I really like that and the Mandalorian of course has a lot of those. So I, I feel yeah. like that punched it up a bit. I was like, okay, well, you got me there. Like, you're landing in a port, and yeah. you, the ship's turning. <laughs> like you, you're giving, you, you're giving Star Wars, and that's good Star Wars. Exactly. And I, I guess, like you said, like it's not filler because I hate the word filler, and I feel like mm. it's ridiculous. Like, or it's like it's a filler needs to be reclaimed. Like, is is yeah, is it's, my, it's, it's my stance on, on like I can take like if we want to call this episode filler in the non-prerogative pejorative sense like that's good because it's it's like, like the forward momentum of the plot might not necessarily be there but there is great character work here and there is like the establishment of of potential arcs to come and potential conflicts to come which is which is all very good like not like we said like not every episode needs palpatine to show up and cackle evilly or whatever well it's like well well <laughs> 
I'm just. I mean, it would it would it would be very funny if he we just like cut to Karas <laughs> hard cut to Karaskan at the end of every episode, and it's like he has to like put down some Senate papers and just like it's time for my evil cackle. Yes, Massimino, give you my diary. Like, yeah. I, 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 to be fair, I would want I do want to see more of Palpatine in that time period. Probably yeah. not the time or place, but like you said, it's really cool to see that. I yeah, like it's filler in as much as Empire Strikes Back is filler, and yeah. anything that. That's what really annoys me when people are like, when people say the words, did this story need to be told? Like, Empire Strikes Back didn't need to be told. None of the yeah. stories post A New Hope needed to be told. It, that's not how story. It's such a hmm. weird criticism. I always find, like, did this need to be told? I'm like, yeah. Like, and it's like, no. it's, it's an unfortunate and yet inherent sort of part of the common, like, fandom as a commodity has become as such like We have to. We have to overexert the value of every piece of content that we're given in order for it to feel like it matters. But a Bad Batch matters in its own way in that, like, we are we are being introduced to these characters and we're getting to sort of unravel them and spend more time with them and ex- explore who they are. And, like, especially in the case of a new character like Omega in particular, like, any time spent with her so far has been an absolute highlight of the series. And and this is another episode that sort of pushes her further into, into the spotlight and sort of gives her the chance to grow. And now we get to learn how she's going to feel about holding up that space bow to someone. And like, I was going to say, I I was going to say, pull the trigger. And then I realized it's a bow. She hasn't got a trigger to pull, but like (laughs) to, to knock a laser arrow and put it through the chest of, like some Zygerian, like, like now we like we have the setup for like what's she going to be like now that like she very specifically has a weapon and is part mm. of this team. Like, what is it going to mean to her for her to fight? And like the idea of them setting this, setting her up as part of the team is is what I love most about this episode and and holds great potential to come. Absolutely, and I feel like I wouldn't be surprised if we get to see Omega wear some armor at some point. Yeah. Where's where's her tiny where's her tiny Clone Falls ninety nine suit? I I can't wait. I think it's gonna be yeah. so cool. Um, yeah, I think that's all we've got time for this week. I, it was such a great opportunity to speak to you about this episode, mm. and I really do love the like like we said, any story that makes us laugh, go ah, and also says fascism is bad is, <laughs> is, is an A plus in my book. That's um, Star Wars, baby. That's Star Wars. <laughs> well. That's all we have time for this week. James, where can people find you? Uh, people can read my... Well, I would say it's questionable, but people read it, so like, I don't know. There's, there's some fellow weirdos out there. If you would like to be a fellow weirdo and, and follow my writing, you can check me out over at io9 and Gizmodo. Currently had a bit of a website rejigger at the minute, so you can find us at gizmodo.com slash io9. That is where you will find me writing about Star Wars every Friday, and probably a few days in between that, because it's Star Wars, and people love clicking on Star Wars stuff, so they can find me there, or as you can see under me at the minute, you can find me posting pictures of Lego and doing general stupid stuff over at AJ Whitbrook on Twitter. Perfect. Uh, and you can find us on Twitter at Impsonet Pod. 
and on Instagram at Pod. All the other links and everything, our Patreon and all that, is on our website, imperialsnetpodcast.com. You can find me on Twitter at CMWASHBY and my Patreon, which I'm currently updating to have new elements. I'm going to make it much more accessible for people, have a few more shows open to people and changing things so you can help support the show rather than straight up just having shows dedicated for certain people. Um, It's going to be interesting. Don't forget, Claire, there's Castle Run Transmissions. You can follow them on Twitter and you can check out the YouTube and our good friend, our, good friend, our co-host Nikki, also does his show One Undone Film Club, which is incredible. Our friend Alden does it with them, and our good friend Reed. They go through different franchises and pick out one film each, and they debate which film they're going to be doing. It's a really great, fun podcast. I think the last one they did was Rocky, um, which I feel like I think it was the first time Nikki watched the film, so that's really interesting. <laughs> tease there, so yeah, definitely check them all out. All the links and stuff to that will be in the description below. But until next time, thank you so much. Goodbye. Goodbye.